0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the way that you have told us in your word. This is the day that you have made. And we will rejoice and give thanks in it. So come now. Speak, I pray, your word, your Holy Spirit. We invite you to come and and build us up. um, Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to know ourselves more fully. That we might be more aligned with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are some things in life, there's things in this world that do not go together. They just don't mix. And right away, if I was to ask you to give me an example, usually people come up with one. What is it? Two things that just don't mix together. Oil and water. Yep, that's one of the most common ones. Do you know, um, I was kind of new to me, this one, um, but maybe some of you are aware of it. Toothpaste and orange juice. (laughs) Anybody tried that before? And there will be some of you going home to try that. I was reading about it. The properties in toothpaste combined with orange juice give this metallic and it's just no good. You don't want to do it. uh, Stripes and polka dots. From a fashion standpoint, I don't know. A contagious epidemic disease. And healthy people. In fact, we will actually quarantine people in order to keep them from spreading that because they don't mix. Texting and driving. Soon that will be probably a felony or some kind of a, a against the law. Um, what I thought of, hedge funds and insurance companies. And, and, and one that is very personal to me and some of you may be familiar with this one as well. My dog and anything that tries to grow in my yard. <laughs> anybody, anybody have a dog like that? Yeah, well, I do. And they don't go together. Well, this is what Paul has been saying throughout all the chapters of Galatians. That's why he begins his letter. He's so angry. He's writing to these people. He would be writing to us today in the same way. In fact, the Spirit of God does speak to churches, speaks to people, speaks to organizations that call themselves godly or spiritual. And he says to them, the law and grace do not mix. The law was meant to serve in its right purpose to lead people to grace. But you cannot live by the law and by grace. Simply, grace based living does not mix with law based living. You either come to God confident in, in His ability and His grace, or you seek to come through your own confidence in your own abilities and through your own efforts to please God. There are two different roads. They're going two different directions. The Word of God makes it very clear that a relationship with God through faith in the work of Jesus does not mix with a life of confidence in our efforts to get God's approval. So you can make a choice, and everyone does have this choice to make throughout the world. People you rub shoulders with, people you work with, people that you see around your your neighborhood, people sitting next to you. We all have a choice. We have a choice to come before God through our efforts to seek to, through our strength and our wisdom and our abilities, through our resources, to convince God... To love us and to accept us and to receive us. And some people do that and they set up rules and they follow them real well and they pat one another on the back and they believe in some sense, they're deceived, says Paul, that somehow God is going, yeah, I love you, good job. And then there's others who try really hard and they can't measure up. They keep falling beyond. They get real in their hearts. They know that in their hearts there's sin and there's darkness. And they basically come to the place where they're lost and they might, they go, kind of. I just might as well live however I please. And sometimes, when their hearts are open, they come to a realization of what this law was meant to do. It was meant to lead you to a bankruptcy, to a sense of your own moral failure, to a sense of not being able to ever measure up if you measure up to the perfect law of God in the life of Jesus Christ, which expressed love fully. Perfectly, you see how how far you have fallen and how short you come of that kind of glory, and in a sense you understand your need, and you go this route, the other route that does not mix with that one, and you, in, in in a sense of complete, utter dependency, you kneel before God and say, God, if you would just have mercy, and He says, I do. I have more than mercy. I have grace. Abundant. And it's in Jesus. And Paul is saying if you want to approach God, there is a life that either expresses yourself, which leads to your pride and points to your strength and your abilities and your goodness and your everything else, or you come to God and you, in total surrender, in total humility, begin to express the power and life that comes through the Spirit of God. And begins to um, allow for people to see as as they look at your life, they see this incredible humility because you yourself stand outside yourself at times and you go, man, that's not me. I can't believe how God came into this situation, how God, through his initiative and intervention, stepped in and did some things. He changed my attitude. He changed. I used to have an anger problem. I used to maybe have a self-pity problem. I used to react in certain ways. I used to have no patience and couldn't wait. And all of a sudden, I see God working in my life. I at a time could never forgive people, but all of a sudden I experienced his forgiveness and now I forgive people. There was a time when I never had any confidence that if I prayed for someone that something would happen in someone's life, but now God's filling me with a confidence that I can pray. And sometimes I've even seen God supernaturally heal. And you step outside because you know that is not you. That's a life that Paul is inviting everyone into. And so when we get to this passage of Scripture, you either live celebrating the love of God and the power of God flowing, flowing through you, or you choose to try and convince God to love you And everything points to you and what you're doing and to your glory. Here's what Paul is getting at when we look at these last few verses. He's been teaching this same truth again and again. And finally, in verse 21, he starts saying, let me give you one more way that I want to show you to convince you to walk this path of grace, expressing the power of God. And he says, let me use a rabbinical way of teaching. It's an allegorical way. It's it's something that's familiar to us today. But it was something that was beginning to become familiar to them in their day. And in fact, the Jewish people who had come in, who were Judaizers and teaching this way of 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 man and the law, so you can combine that with Jesus and Paul says they don't mix, you can't. They were actually using some of this kind of teaching. So Paul says, let me just finally end it the way they argue. And so to review, verse 21, we looked at last week. He's basically saying there are two realms. There is the natural, ordinary, physical represented by Hagar, Ishmael, and the geographical city, physical city of Jerusalem, which is this approach of the law. There is also the other realm in way that you can walk and live. It is supernatural, extraordinary. It is spiritual. It is represented by Sarah and Isaac and the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And it's the approach of faith in God's grace. It is this idea of coming to our spiritual barrenness. That's what he's been talking about. Sarah has been barren. Abraham has been waiting. And he's been hoping that God in his promise would fulfill the things that needed to be fulfilled. And in his, their barrenness, in that place of not being able to provide a son through Sarah, they come to a place where he finally says, but God did it. So break forth into song. Sing for joy. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than her husband. John Stott says it well, one of the commentators says, The religion of Ishmael is a religion of nature, of what man can do without any special intervention of God. But the religion of Isaac is a religion of grace, of what God has done and does. It is a relationship based on divine initiative and divine intervention. For Isaac was born supernaturally through a divine promise. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 through 31. We begin here. It's the second part of this allegory. It's really a second part of the teaching. Let me read it to you from, this, from the Word of God. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Verse 29. At that time, the son born in an ordinary way persecuted the Son of God, born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Let me ask, how many is that your favorite verse in scripture? You, you kind of, when you hear that, you go, man, I want to go home and memorize that. That just that does it for me, turns my crank, that gets me going, I can't wait. Well, let me hopefully by the time we get to the end as you have a better understanding and go. This is a powerful word from God, because Paul intends it to be that way. He begins in verse twenty-eight. He says, "Now you brothers, like Isaac, you're, you're children of the promise." He's basically saying, "Remember back in verse twenty-one, he begins. He says, Tell me who want to be. Tell me you who want to be under the law.'" So he's making this distinction. In verse twenty-one, he begins this allegorical teaching. He says, "Now those of you." who really are into wanting to follow God this way, and you think that you can, through your flesh, mix together Jesus, let me just talk to you for a second. And he shares that whole thing about barrenness and and the difference and the power of God and what it means to walk that way. Now he gets to this verse in 28, and he says, I want to address all of you, anybody here, because there's people who are following the Spirit or want to, and there are people who are walking this way, and some who didn't know there was a difference. But he doesn't call out specific names. He basically calls out and says, now to you, when you hear this, like Jesus say, those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear. You have the possibility with your spirit to pay attention and say, God, I want you to speak to me. And if you're in that place, he says, now to you, brothers, like Isaac, our children of the promise. At that time, the son, born in the ordinary way, persecuted the son Born by the power of the Spirit. That takes you back to verse 26. When, when Paul breaks into his, his praise, because he says people who walk by faith, trusting in the promise of God for him to do what he says he's going to do. Some of you know that in your life and could stand up and testify and say, you know what, I remember, I've seen in my life, when God gave me a word, he promised he would do something, and I prayed, he, he took me through times of waiting, and finally, God answered. And I saw something happen that I couldn't produce myself. That's what he's kind of saying here. He's saying, be glad, break forth, shout aloud, cry aloud, you barren woman. You who are no child bearer, but now you're experiencing labor pains. And guess what? More are your children, the things that God can do through you, than he could ever do through your works and efforts because of your dependency, because of your coming to an understanding of barrenness and weakness. At that time, The Son born in the ordinary way persecuted the Son born by the power of the Spirit. Now catch this. It is the same today. Hasn't changed. Doesn't change. Actually, if you go back to Abraham and Sarah, you'll see that there was the flesh and the Spirit back then. And we will take in a few moments a little bit of a walk down through the Bible and see how that persecution continues whenever the flesh and the Spirit begin to arise in the same place. Hagar, Ishmael, and all who are the flesh will persecute and torment all who seek to walk in the Spirit. And Paul goes, but what does Scripture say? I I love that. But what does Scripture say? These Judaizers, and and, and essentially people who who are into the law, they'll they'll grab the Bible and go, well, well, let me tell you what the Bible says here. And they'll they'll say, here's what the Bible says. And and so Paul says, no problem. Let me tell you what Scripture has to say. Let's turn to it. And then he says, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with the free woman's son. And he goes right back to Genesis chapter 21, verse 10. And he shares the story of Hagar and Ishmael, how they were sent away by God. Beginning with Sarah through Abraham, they were sent away. And its call in Scripture is for us to do what Abraham did. It is to expel the flesh. Therefore, brothers, he says, we're not children of the slave woman. We we are not in that lineage. We come from that of the free woman, of the Spirit. So live that way. And here's a command. Get rid of the flesh. They do not mix. They never will cohere together. They will separate farther than oil from water. Last week, the principle was this flesh produces flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. This week, the principle is this flesh and spirit do not mix. The flesh must be sent away. If the supernatural, extraordinary, powerful works of God are to be released, are to be birthed in this place in your life, the flesh must be gotten rid of. The flesh must be sent away. And he gives us two reasons. If you look at this, any confidence in our flesh, that is, in our abilities, our wisdom, our strength, our ways to provide what only God can provide must be thrown out, he says. In fact, even trying to bring glory to God through our strength and wisdom with regard to the things of God must be gotten rid of. You can't even build a church in your own strength and flesh. I myself had to learn that in a very difficult and hard way as God placed this dream on my heart. And then I was always trying in my flesh to help God out. Till God broke me and said, that's got to go. Get rid of the flesh. He says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Do you know who he gave that word to? He gave it to a man named Zerubbabel who was building the temple of God. And he came to him because he wanted him to know, you guys, in your plans and your efforts, you're so excited about bringing glory to me. But I want you to recognize all those things need to come under the sway, under the influence. You have to, in a sense, through your barrenness and brokenness, understand that only God can provide glory to fill his temple. And so before you even begin, I want to just say it once again, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And here's why. Two reasons. The flesh will persecute the spirit, verse 29. The flesh will not inherit the blessings of this promise, verse 30. Get rid of the flesh. The flesh will persecute the spirit, verse 29. About um, when I was in my senior year in seminary, my brother had been married now for a couple of years. And it was around that time that I was living with my parents and we had this wonderful cat for a cat. You know, those of you who are cat people, you probably think all cats are wonderful, but, you know, for a cat, this cat was pretty nice because it actually would come when I called, like, a dog. It had some of the properties of a dog. Well, one day my brother called us. He and his wife wanted to go on vacation for a couple of weeks. And it was, they were really going to be gone for about, I think, about ten days. He said, you know, we don't know what to do with our cat. They had a cat. They said, could we bring our cat to your place, and would you guys watch the cat for a while? I thought, no, not a problem. Sure, go ahead. They come over. My brother leaves the cat with us. The cat's kind of sitting there. For some reason, our cat was strangely absent in the welcoming party. There was no greeting. There was no coming with a welcome card. Or The cat didn't bake anything special for this other little cat. But we found out soon after my brother left and we let the cat out, that cat showed up, our cat showed up, and it was not happy. It was as nasty as any cat I've ever seen in my life. It hissed. It made all kinds of noises. It ran after it. It chased the cat. It chased his cat all the way down into the basement, into the corner of the laundry room. And that cat sat there, scared to death, pinned in the corner, imprisoned, tormented, persecuted by our cat. And I I, I can tell you, that wasn't just for a few days. That was almost ten days. Ten days. Now, I know you're all feeling really bad. We did all that we could. But these two cats didn't mix. And the reality was that this cat, if it would have stayed there much longer, I really believe it it couldn't relax, it couldn't couldn't rest, it, it, it was always on edge, it couldn't creatively live its cat life. And so it is, says Paul. The flesh will be like that cat and will persecute the spirit. It will torment when the Spirit shows up. It will do all it can to take the life out of the Spirit. Because they don't mix. Now, I want you to note, things are fine. Things are fine with our cat until that other cat showed up. Things are fine usually until the Spirit begins to show up. Let's look at the history of Abraham and how he sent Hagar and Ishmael away. Look at Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It's a great story because Paul wants to point back this and say, here's how the spirit and the flesh do not mix. And this is almost told from Sarah's point of view. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah. As he has said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised isn't that interesting? He made a promise to Abraham, but he also made a promise to Sarah. They were together as a couple praying, God, please give us a son. You promised you'd give us a son. And this son would be a great nation and all the world would be blessed with this son. But where in the world is their son? And so they tried to do what they could to make the son come about. And they messed things up a little bit. First, they thought it would be Eleazar. And then they tried through a maidservant and had Ishmael. And this is what the Word of God says. Now, the Lord was gracious. Get the word gracious. It's the intervention of God. As he has said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised and Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age and underlined this at the very time God had promised. You know what? God has placed some things in your hearts. He he has maybe given you a word of Scripture. He has given you a promise by His Spirit. And and you've been waiting. And you've been trying to make it happen. And and God is saying, wait, rest. And you know what? At the very time, when it's supposed to be, God knows the hour, the day, and at that moment, God will do it. And you know when He usually does it? When He's emptied us of our own flesh. Because He wants the glory alone. So, At that very time, God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac, which means laugh to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And now you understand why he gave the name laughs, right? Right goes on, he says, Sarah says this, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And now on to the story of Hagar and Ishmael being sent away. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, pay attention to that. This weaning is important in Scripture. There's this idea that under the safety and protection for those two years or so of weaning of this mother, the child was fine. But on the day the child was weaned, Abraham had this great feast and he was celebrating the fact that now this little child was going to be free. At two years of age, to begin kind of running around and doing his own thing, no longer bound or tied to his mother. Protected for a period of time, now set free. And Abraham had this feast, but Sarah saw, look at this, that the son whom Agar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking her little boy. And you get this picture of you know, the great feast, and here's this little, this little guy. You know how two-year-olds kind of walk? They're just kind of like they're a little bit drunk, you know? I get this picture of here's little, little Isaac. He's walking around. He's enjoying himself. He's eating things. And you see over in the corner, here in the back, here is Here's Ishmael, about seventeen years of age, looking at the child of promise, recognizing that his place will be displaced because of this power and promise and all that has come through this child, and he's over there because he can't stand that work of God, and he begins to mock it, and he he can he begins to kind of stumble, and all his little you know relatives and buddies they're laughing. And and, and as he watches how Isaac eats something and he makes fun of it and smears it on his face, and he's mocking this child because like that cat pinning that other cat in the corner, that cat could never live, could never creatively express itself with that torment and persecution. And that is what the Word of God says, that the flesh, the efforts, the works of man will constantly come against any birthing of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God begins to, to show itself and begins to perform in His own power, People of the flesh go, I don't like that. I don't want that. That's not controllable for me. That's outside my box and makes me not look too spiritual. That's not what I really signed up for. And then they begin to go after. And she says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. And then read these words. This matter distressed. Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Getting rid of the things of the flesh are not easy for us because they're usually things we're familiar with. It's patterns we've lived with. It's genealogical stuff that's come through family lines. It's ways we've grown up in churches where we've learned to be connecting with God that maybe now God is doing new things and we go, I don't want any part of that because it's comfortable. The matter greatly distressed Abraham because it concerned his son, but God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. And I love this. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. Sarah's got it right here, Abraham, man of faith. Sometimes the things that are of our flesh are so close to us that we need other people to look in and tell us about it. We need Our wives, we need our children, we need our friends, we need those who are looking at our lives and they can point it out because they're hard for us to see. And so God comes to Abraham. Abraham takes it to his closet of prayer, so to speak, and says, God, do I really need, you know, Sarah's thinking this and how do I please you? And God says, Abraham, he's got to go. And guess what? I'll take care of him. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, and I will make a son of your maidservant. Listen, I will make a son of your maidservant into a nation also because he's your offspring. So send him into the desert. I know you don't know what's going to happen, but I will care for him. And so early the next morning, Abraham gets up, sends Hagar off with the boy Ishmael. Because the flesh must be sent away. It must be gotten rid of, because the power and blessings, the creative work of the Spirit, will never ever grow to maturity in the presence of a persecuting, mocking, death-producing ways of the flesh and any person who carries it and says, that's what I want. So note this throughout the Bible. There is story upon story. This is not some kind of allegorical thing that Paul has just kind of taken and lifted from the pages of Scripture to prove his point. This is the Spirit of God. Look at this in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6. Hannah with Samuel. Hannah is desperately longing and wanting a child. And she has also another wife that is married to her husband, Penina. Listen to these words. And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. That's really interesting. Do you know that's the purpose of the law? That's the purpose of God in our life. sometimes. Sometimes God allows things to come into our lives as we seek to in our own strength and our own efforts to try and make things happen. God will actually come in and close the door. He will sometimes remove us from a place of employment. He may sometimes remove us from situations. Or He will make barren these things that we were hoping to get life from because He knows we will never get life from anything but Him. And so He goes, you know what? He closed her womb. And in closing her womb, she began to pray to God, God, I want a child. But then she began to pray deeper things than just, I want a child. She started to pray, God, I don't just want a child. I look at my nation. I look at our people. Would they begin to hunger for you like this? God, would you not just bring a child, but would you bring a child who will be birthed by you, who will have the power and work of you flowing through their life? And God leaves her barren. Look at what it says. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her through this whole process. And this went on year after year. I want to tell you, if you've ever been in this barren state where you're not seeing the works of God and you hunger for the works of God, and you look around and you see the natural works of, of others and you kind of go, man, God, why are this? And it's almost a provoking, irritating thing. But God is doing that because He's driving you back on your knees because the only place you will see the power of God demonstrated is through His Spirit. This went on year after year. And when Hannah... Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord where she was going to pray, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And then one day, God met her. And through her birth, a man named Samuel who brought about the kingdom of God through Saul and David so that eventually Solomon and the kingdom showed up. And more, far more, was the, the birth that came through her than of her who had these natural sons. Anybody remember their names? And so he goes on and he says, look at Saul and David in First Samuel. It's another picture of Saul being of the flesh and David of the Spirit. And I want you to note this. Things are fine until the Spirit of God shows up in David. Everything's fine. And then one day, David shows up and does this historic, incredible, powerful work that only God could do by slaying Goliath. And he starts going out in the power of God. He starts going out in the dependency, as he says in the Word of God, that he would would turn to God again and again in prayer and do what God had called him to do. And then it began that people began to just be attracted to the power of the Spirit of God in this man. So much so that Saul in his flesh began to look at David. And what did he do? He started throwing spears. That's what I call tormenting. He kept throwing spears. So one day David said, I gotta, you know what, the Spirit can't be birthed here. So Jonathan, the son of Saul, says, David, you've got to go. As loyal as you are, you've got to go for the birth and work of God's Spirit to occur. Look at Jesus and the Pharisees, the whole religious establishment of that day. Note again, things are fine. They're just really pretty good in, in Israel and Jerusalem and Judea until Jesus, through the Spirit, shows up. John five sixteen. Jesus starts doing these works where He starts healing and the Spirit of God is being operative and showing these extraordinary supernatural works of God. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted Him. See the familiarity of that line? Persecution? Verse 47 of chapter 6 goes on a little later and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he who believes in Me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And then a few verses later in verse 53, He says to him, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood... You have no life in you. That's offensive. This guy is actually believing that somehow his life is so great, it's so pure, it's so in touch with God that if you will actually begin to metaphorically eat his life, actually depend on him and his words and his life to such a degree that somehow the life of God like it flows through him will flow through you. Well, Verse 60-63, through on hearing it, many of his disciples, these are the followers, he said, this is a hard teaching. And again, who can accept this? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, This is often a line you'll hear because this is what happens. Does this offend you? The Spirit of God, the work of God, will offend people in the flesh. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven before him? I mean, it's not a big deal to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What if you watch me go actually up into the heavens? That's even a pretty big deal. And then he makes a statement. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and their life. Then at verse 66, from this time many of His disciples turned back and they no longer followed Him. It's too offensive. This thing of walking in the Spirit. This thing of grace. This thing of, of a God who would come and save a bunch of tax collectors and Pharisees. This thing of grace. It's just too much. It, I understand a little bit of grace, but it's, you know, we've got to do this to convince God. We've got to look this way. He says, There's none of that. It's the Spirit. And then verse 1 of chapter 7. After this, look at this. Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away, not mixing with Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take His life. Let me just share with you one more passage of Scripture. Paul experienced this on their very first missionary journey. When Paul... And Barnabas and John Mark and Luke and maybe a couple others were set aside by the Holy Spirit in the church in Antioch to go on this first missionary journey. They went and look what it says in Acts chapter 14, verses one and two at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual as they would into the Jewish synagogue. They spoke there so effectively in the spirit that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Again, things are fine until the Spirit of God shows up. The church is fine until the Spirit begins to birth things in the Spirit, and people begin to offend it, and people begin to start saying this is not you know, this grace thing isn't of God. And it's all of God. It's of the Spirit. Because life in and by the Spirit calls for complete, total, 100% dependency on God and His way, which are often not ours, right? Twice in the book of Proverbs, this wise saying is found. And I wondered when I read Proverbs at times, why would you put the same Proverbs in two places? Did the editors make a mistake and have an oversight, you know? Or was it that the Spirit of God so intended to say it twice to emphasize this truth? You know what this truth is? It's about the flesh and the Spirit. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that in our hearts and in man, through our own abilities, through our own strength, through our own resources, through our own efforts, we think that we can do these things apart from God. But in the end, even what looks good, even what we think we can provide, will end in death. But there is a way that comes through the Spirit for every person who just in their heart says, God, I want to 100% completely with full dependence give my whole self to you. And I want, and you may be saying this this morning, I want, like this Word of God says, all of the flesh that is in me expelled. Gotten rid of. I don't want it to be a part any longer. The other reason that Paul gives is really simple. He says, get rid of the flesh because it will never inherit the power and blessing of God. It's what we've been talking about for the last number of minutes. The flesh will never inherit the power of God. The supernatural, extraordinary, supernaturally spiritual work that comes through God as evidence in every person filled by the Holy Spirit will never come about by the ways of the flesh. Those works of God that will make us laugh never will never be ours through our own efforts. the kind of things that caused a Sarah to go, unbelievable, I'm pregnant. Who would think at 90 plus years? It's the kind of person who goes, unbelievable. I knew in my heart that I was walking away from God. I knew that I put my fist up and said, tough luck, God, I'm doing it my way. The person who says, you know what? I didn't even know about God and I was just doing things in my own flesh and I was hurting people and offending people and I came to a point where I just wondered maybe God, maybe God through His mercy and grace would, would receive me. And, and they begin to laugh because they hear there is a God who does that, who loves you like that, who pours out His Spirit upon you like that. It has been my desire from the moment I said yes to this church and stood behind this pulpit. In fact, even before that. That the Spirit of God would be the, the path that we take, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would allow His Spirit to fill us and move us to be able to do the kind of things in this community, in our lives, to do the kind of healing of relationships that some of us need, to do the kind of healing in people's lives with regard to fractured relationships of those in your family, whatever it would be, that God would do that. And that we would all sign up and say, God, that's me. I surrender completely and I will say the same as Paul says there. If there's flesh in my midst, if there is flesh in this body, we want it out. I just want you to think about this for a second, because this is in my heart and mind kind of a historic thing. I believe, um, and I feel led to do this, I'm going to just conclude the sermon right here, that I think we need to put a stake in the sand that says, God, this is our path. And I'm not saying that when we walk in this path that everything we do is right. Okay? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that our heart and our desire is that the Spirit of God would so move in us and that we as a people would say anything of our flesh, we ask that you would crucify, as it says in Scripture, and get rid of it that this would be a place that would birth all that God wants to do through His Spirit. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and just pray for a few moments, just quietly before the Lord and just contemplate, God, is this what you want? Is this what you want in my life?